Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Right, well, it's a real joy to be with you this morning to open up God's Word. And let's just recognize that in a diverse church like ours, you literally could have been anywhere in the world right now. But here you are this morning together as a church family. We are continuing with our series on why we love the local church. And one of the reasons we are doing this series is because we want to know what the Bible has to say about the importance of the local church. Because I'm sure for many of us we've had positive and negative experiences when it comes to the church. Some of the people you know and work with and see every week, they've been hurt by the church. And so they're not really interested in being part of the church anymore. Other people perhaps maybe don't have any obvious issues or negative feelings about the church, but the church doesn't really play that important role in their lives. Church is simply a place where people go to meet on Sunday mornings. But as we look at Scripture, we see that God never intended church to be this way. God did not send His Son to die so that we could just attend church once a week, sing some songs, listen to a sermon for about 40 minutes, and go home. Church is so much more than what happens here on Sunday. Because church is not just a weekly tradition or another social club, but it's a gospel-centered community where the family of God love each other and do life together because of how God has supernaturally united us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus, the reality is that God has done such a transforming work in your heart that you know deep down you desire to be part of something more than just yourself. Be honest. If you've been made a new creation, God puts in you a desire to know Him more. And one of the ways He does that is connecting you with other believers. In other words, God desires so much more for His people than for us to just show up, give some money in the offering plate, and serve in children's ministry. His desire is for His redeemed people to be a gospel-revealing community. A gospel-revealing community that is known for their passionate love toward one another beyond the hour of two that we get to meet here on Sundays. And that's what I want us to consider today. One of the reasons why we love the church is because it is where we find community. A sense of belonging. A sense of belonging that is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now when you think of community, there might be all these kinds of different ideas that go through your mind. I mean, think about it. You can have a running club community where people join and find unity because of their love for running. Or a community of people who speak a specific language or maybe come from a specific country where they find unity because they share the same cultural similarities. I mean, my family and I, we have a community of people we see and interact every week based on the school where my kids go. And what created that community was the fact that our kids were doing the same activities. But the difference is in a Christ 
Christ-centered church community, there is a togetherness and a commitment toward God and toward each other that transcends all the bonds that we normally think about because of our commonality in Jesus Christ. In other words, because of the power of the gospel, people who are so different are so united and joined together to one another that from the world's perspective, it does not make sense why such a diverse group of people would even be together or want to be together. Which kind of made me think of a good question that I read from Jamie Dunlop and Mark Dever in their book, Compelling Community. In this book, they explain why community is so important to the church. And part of the premise is that they want the church to consider what it is that we are building community with. What is it that we are building community with when it comes to the relationships we have in the church? Let me give you a simple example. Imagine a student walks into the doors of the church. Who is it that they will naturally find a connection with and a closer relationship with in the church? Other students, right? Now you see, a student might naturally gravitate toward other students, but what they need to be careful of is that their relationship in the church is not based on finding community and togetherness simply because they are students. But finding community and togetherness because of their unity in Jesus Christ. See, one way to test that is to say, if you had to see the truth of the gospel, leave the church, will that relationship last? In other words, if Jesus is not the primary uniting reality in our relationships, will we still have those relationships? And if the answer is yes, then maybe we need to evaluate if we are actually building those relationships on something other than Jesus Christ. Now, of course, it doesn't mean we can't enjoy some of those similarities and benefit from them. But I guess what the Bible is teaching is that we can't make those similarities the foundation for our community. The foundation for our relationships. Because what makes the gospel absolutely shocking in this world right now and revealing of its awesome power is when people who are so very different, different stages of life, different backgrounds, different social groups, different economic situations, different ethnicities, come together as family, as community. Because of understanding the forgiveness and love we have received in Jesus. Because a gospel-centered community is where Jesus is supreme and the church has something to, to say about His supremacy. And that is why I want us to think about the church community in Thessalonica. This was a community that had something to say about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a church community that was something special. And we can see how special they were because of Paul's love for this church. Paul really, really loved the church in Thessalonica because this was a church community that was centered on the gospel of Jesus. Who did life together, Jew and Gentile, different people, different backgrounds, together and was clearly known to everyone around them. This was a church community that could not be ignored. And so I want us to consider today why Paul loved this church community so much. So I invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to start reading in chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians, start reading in chapter 2 from verse 17 up until the end of chapter 3. This is what Paul writes to this church. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. 
Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, In all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. What thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we might see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct your way, our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. So that He may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. You see, if we had to ask the Apostle Paul, If he was here with us today and we asked him, Paul, why do you love the local church? Then we find the answer in these verses. So let me just give you the context. Paul was going from region to region to preach about Jesus and to plant churches. He came to Thessalonica and he went into the synagogues to reason with people from the scriptures and to explain the way that Jesus came to unite people through what he did in dying for us and being being raised to a new life a few days later. Some of the Jews and Gentiles in the region became Christians. Acts 17.4 then also tells us that even some of the wealthy people in the community were also converted. Already you had the ethnic barrier and the social economic barriers broken by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. People who were not typically going to spend time together are starting to spend time with one another, worshiping God together, all because of Jesus. However, the good news of Jesus wasn't good for everyone. Some of the Jews got very angry and Paul and his team, they were chased away and forced to go into the neighboring area of Berea. But the same kind of opposition to the gospel that they had just experienced here in Thessalonica was also being experienced now in this new area. Paul actually left Timothy in Berea and eventually Timothy ended up back in Thessalonica as Paul moved on to Corinth. And the fact that Paul had to leave this new church community in Thessalonica that he loved so much, so suddenly, because of being chased by this angry mob of Jews, left him with all these kinds of emotions. In fact, in chapter 1 verse 6, we see how these people in Thessalonica received the truth of the gospel in a great time of affliction, yet they did it with great joy in the Holy Spirit. And as a result, verse 7 says, So you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we not have to say anything. This was a church community that was on fire for the Lord. Even when there was trouble. 
And so in a sense we get some insight into Paul's heart here and why he loves this church so much. And one of the first things we notice from our text about this new gospel-centered community is that, firstly, a gospel-centered community wants to be together. Seems pretty obvious. Well, we have to say it. A gospel-centered community wants to be together. In other words, a community that has been changed through the power of the cross wants to spend time with other believers. Look at verses 17 to 20 of chapter 2. Paul says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, and crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. You see, Paul could have easily turned his back on this church because of the problems and persecution and opposition that he had to deal with himself. But he could not get these new brothers and sisters out of his mind or out of his heart. In verse 17, Paul says that even though he was torn away from them in person, he was still with them in heart. Because Paul wanted so desperately to be with them. So he says, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. And then in verse 18, because we wanted to come to you. You see, there's a deep, passionate love for the people in the church in these words of Paul. He wanted to be with them so desperately. Because when God saves people, that uniting love is something deeper than any other relationship that we can understand. You see, when people start to understand the love of Christ toward them, then it changes the way we love each other and relate to each other. And so later in chapter 3, verse 6, we see that the community of Thessalonica loved Paul. And they wanted to be with Paul. It says, you always remembered us kindly and longed to see us as we longed to see you. See, the love Paul had for the church and the love that the church had for Paul didn't make them run to the parking lot when the worship service was over. They didn't think that they had something better to do during the week and when there's maybe time for small groups. They wanted to be together. They longed to be together. I mean, listen to how Paul says it in Philippians, Philippians 1.8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. You see, a community that is centered on the gospel of Jesus are people who long to be with other believers. It is not a community where you must drag yourself to get to church or spend time with other believers. There's a loving and longing that you realize you can't live without each other. It's a community where you yearn for each other with the same affections of Jesus. Because the affections of Jesus is what glues us together. In verse 19, Paul describes the Thessalonians as his hope, his joy, and his crown of boasting. Paul is saying that what he prizes most is the, the faithfulness and the, the godly lies of the Thessalonian church community. Because as he thinks about what brings him joy, he thought of this church. He thought of this church, this, this group of people that passionately loved Jesus and each other. Again, same verse, chapter 3, verse 6. Paul says that he heard from Timothy what? But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. Paul heard about how this community who really loved each other and this brought him great joy. It was the kind of joy that encouraged his own faith. This was a community of people who were different from each other, but because of the gospel... 
They were obeying and living out the words of Jesus in John 13. John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love, if you have love for one another. Pretty big standard, right? How is the church community to love each other? Just as I have loved you, says Jesus. In other words, Jesus says that the church he is building and the community of believers he's uniting are to love each other with a gospel kind of love. The kind of love that looks past each other's differences and looks at what unites us. A love that looks past each other's petty disagreements and looks at what unites us around the common passion for the gospel. A love that is costly. A love that is supernatural. In Luke 7, we find the example of a sinful woman who washes the feet of Jesus with her tears. And she anoints his feet with her perfume. Simon the Pharisee is looking at all of this and he's greatly disturbed. And so Jesus responds by telling him a parable of how a man who is forgiven a great debt loves his creditor more than a man who is forgiven a small one. You find the summary statement given in Luke 7:47. Jesus says, "Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. For she loved much. But he was forgiven little." Loves little. You see, Jesus is changing the way we think about love. See, the Pharisee thinks he's forgiven by God because of how well he loved God. He essentially thinks we love people so that God will love me. But Jesus says it is forgiveness that causes love. In other words, our love toward each other is proportional to our understanding of forgiveness. And the point I'm trying to make is that because forgiveness is something supernatural, it is only the gospel-believing community united in Jesus Christ who love in a supernatural way. Because the more we understand how much Jesus loves us and has forgiven us, the more we are able to love each other even though that we are so very different. The more that we long to be with each other, even though we are so different. Because there is a forgiving love that truly unites us and makes us a gospel-centered community. Not only does the love of Jesus unite us and cause us to long to be with each other, but secondly, we notice that because of that love, a gospel-centered community sacrifices for each other. A gospel-centered community sacrifices for each other. This is chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. See, not only did Paul want to be with the church community in Thessalonica so desperately, and they with him, but Paul was also really concerned for them. And Paul was concerned for many reasons. One is that the church might face the same persecution that he just did, which will cause them to maybe doubt their faith. I mean, new believers being persecuted for their faith. He also doubted whether he would ever make it back to Thessalonica and see the the people in person again. And of course, he is also concerned that the false teachers might sweep in and enter the church. And so with all these concerns on his heart for these people, he says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer... We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. See, Paul had no way to know how the church community was doing until he sent Timothy to go and be with him. And so out of this great concern for those he loves, Paul makes the sacrifice to send Timothy to Thessalonica. 
which if you remember the context, Paul is willing to send away his friend and his teammate and his co-laborer in the kingdom and face the opposition to the gospel in Athens all by himself. So put yourself in his shoes. What is it that makes a man do that? Because when he faced the problems like he did in Berea, he couldn't forget about the Thessalonians. He knew that trouble was possible. And so out of concern for those he loves, he sacrifices for them by sending Timothy to them so they can be encouraged in the faith. The word exhort here in verse 2 can also be translated encourage, which means to call alongside. In other words, Timothy was sent to come alongside them and cheer them on. Which means both Paul and Timothy were willing to adjust their plans to accomplish God's plans. They were willing to sacrifice for the good of others because they knew that God was busy doing so much more than they could see. And so Paul and Timothy were willing to sacrifice their own comforts for the good of others. And that is what a gospel-centered community does. We put aside our own comforts, our own preferences for the good of others. You see, when someone travels from another country to tell people about the good news of Jesus, then most missionaries will tell you that there are several things different which they must sacrifice for the good of others. I mean, time away from their family. No grandparents around for their kids. Different food, different ways of working with government. And when the church is being built on the gospel with with people from every tribe and tongue and nation, we recognize that the mission field has come together in one family here at church that many things that are familiar to us are maybe not so familiar to someone else. I couldn't help but think of the example we just had this week. I mean, we're going to eat a meal after this service, right? For many of you, the idea of making soup seemed foreign. And that's understandable. Totally understandable. Because maybe you don't know how to make it, so there's a kind of sacrifice going on for you to stretch yourself to make something you're not familiar with. And why would you do that? It's for the good of the family. Because of your love for one another. You see, for Paul, sacrificing to have Timothy by his side while encountering the the, the pagan world of Athens was a small price to pay because of his love for the Thessalonians. Because when we compare that to the gospel and what Christ has done for us, then we recognize that stretching myself to make food that I'm not comfortable with is nothing compared to what Jesus has done for me. A gospel-centered community is a community that is willing to sacrifice for each other because of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. I mean, other communities are not like that. My wife and I have experienced this this last few months. One of the communities we have there at the school, we are united there because of our children playing the same sport. And what started off as a a good community where everyone was for each other, slowly and surely became negative, very, very negative, as parents started turning against each other because of the way the kids were being handled. And so if you take out the gospel, there's no way to talk about these things. Because what ends up happening is that the the parents start hiding behind their children. They say that they just love their children, but ultimately what they're saying is they love themselves. They are willing to fight with other parents because of what's happening on the field. You see, a Christian community does not put himself or herself first because Jesus did not put himself first. It is a community that wants to be together and is willing to sacrifice in order to make that happen. Where the concerns we learn about each other compels us to sacrifice for one another. And that can only happen if we keep Jesus at the center. 
Because we know we're all lost and dead in our sin, yet God loved us that Jesus came and sacrificed Himself so that you and I can be part of His family. This new gospel-centered community. This gospel-revealing community. And the way we sacrifice for one another. But not only do we sacrifice for one another, we also suffer together. We suffer together. Thirdly, a gospel-centered community suffers together. Chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. For you yourself know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you before and that we were to suffer affliction. Just as it has come to pass. And just as you know. For this reason I could bear it no longer. I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. You see, even though we as believers know and believe that Christ has forgiven our sins, it does not mean that we won't experience any problems this side of heaven, right? Instead of thinking that because we follow Jesus, our lives will be problem-free, we recognize that because we are followers of Jesus, that we will have a whole new set of challenges. And so if we keep Jesus and the gospel central to our community, then it helps us to understand the words of Jesus in John fifteen eighteen. Because what does Jesus say? He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world. Therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. You see, Paul never promised the church, like some of these popular TV preachers do, that life in Christ is going to be easy. I mean, back in chapter 2 verse 3 he said, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. He wasn't interested in deceiving these people. He wanted to give them the truth straightforward. So he says, just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. You see, just the short time that Paul had in Thessalonica, he was trying to be as straightforward as he could be about the suffering that comes along with being a Christian. And so he says in verse 4, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. And then he says, Just as it came to pass, and just as you know. They were experiencing persecution. But these people in Thessalonica, they were warned. It happened, but the thing is, they experienced this pain and rejection together. They were suffering for Jesus and their faith in Jesus together. Paul knew that Satan was not going to be excited about this this gospel-loving, gospel-centered community. And so even though there are all these angry mobs who were persecuting the new Jewish and Gentile Christian community, Paul knew the bigger enemy was the devil. And so even though he wanted to be with them so desperately, he says early in chapter 2.18, that it was Satan that hindered him from coming to them. Because a church community that is centered on the gospel is always going to pose a significant threat to the plans of Satan. And we know from John 10.10 that Satan's strategy is to steal, to kill, and to destroy And if he could get the church community to suffer, then he knows he might steal their joy. He could start to destroy their unity and hinder this gospel-revealing work. Because he knows that if we can make all the people who are united in Jesus to be ineffective, then he thinks he's winning. Which means if we're going to be a community that is truly centered on the gospel and who love each other, then we are not going to ignore the conflict we have with ourselves within the church. 
And the reality is that when there's such a diverse group of people together in one family, there will be conflict. It's inevitable. But it's how we deal with the conflict that indicates whether Jesus is central to this community or not. Because here's what happens. People get upset with each other and instead of living in community together, what do they do? They start to avoid each other. It's much easier to avoid and do your own thing than address the conflict we have and work at maintaining the unity we have in Jesus Christ. See, when people move into a life of isolation, what usually follows? Discouragement comes along with it. As one man says, no Christian is immune from discouragement. Even when prepared for the reality of Satan's attack, we will have moments when our fears and doubts get the best of us. What happens if you try and deal with that alone? Because if you had to be honest with yourself, then perhaps you know that the times when you get most discouraged are probably when you felt you were totally alone. I mean, you might still be around a lot of people, even come to church on Sundays and be around a lot of people, but relationally, you're all alone. And when we feel alone, and we keep all that discouragement to ourselves, and we disconnect ourselves from a community of people who love you, then we minimize the power of what the gospel truly has done in our relationships. We learn from Paul here that he was willing to be vulnerable. He was willing to be vulnerable by sharing his fears and doubts with the church in Thessalonica. Which means if you recognize that Jesus comes first, then we can be open and honest with other people as well. We can deal with our differences in a way that makes us stronger and not cause us to separate ourselves. We can share our doubts and discouragement and pick each other up and think of truth and live in light of that truth. Because... What Jesus has done for us is bigger than our own feelings of rejection. The gospel tells us that we are one with Jesus and therefore one with other believers. Even as Sarah said, that connectedness is going to last into all of eternity. So why do we pretend that truth is not real now? I think one of the reasons is we're not actually praying for one another. Which brings us to our final point. Paul loved the church community in Thessalonica because it was a gospel-centered community who wanted to be together, who wanted to sacrifice for each other, who suffered together and shared their discouragement and vulnerability with each other, and now who were praying for one another. Because here in chapter 3, verses 10 to 13, we see a gospel-centered community prays for one another. We already talked in this series about the value of praying together. But now Paul is talking about praying for each other, specifically. Paul had heard of Timothy's great report about the church and they're standing firm in their faith through all the trials that they were going through. And it's like he could breathe again. He got his breath back because of this concern he had for these people. And what does he do as soon as he has his breath back? He says, for now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. And so with new breath in his lungs, he, he prays for the church. Their faith in difficult times were bringing great joy to Paul. And he wanted to pray for them. But what is it that he prayed about? Verse 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming 
of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. You see, a gospel-centered community is not only willing to share their doubts and fears, they are willing to share of themselves by committing to pray for others. See, it was a kind of committed praying, right? Night and day. In order that God would make a way for Paul to be back in fellowship with this church. But until that time came, what else was on his heart? We see that in verse 12. He says, And may the Lord make you increase. Increase in what? Increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. This church was already a church that were loving each other supernaturally. But now he's praying that God would be the one who allows the church community to increase even more in that kind of love. That love was already there, but Paul prayed that God would increase their gospel-centered love. And the one thing I want you to notice is that it is God who does this. He says, may the Lord. Because God is the one who creates gospel-loving communities. We cannot create a gospel-loving community on our own. God is the one that must do that by saving people and opening up their eyes to His love for them in Jesus. Because Paul knows that it is the love of God that creates this community and it is the love of God that binds this community together. And he knows that it's important that we pray for each other, that our love will increase for one another. When last did you pray that your love for others would increase in this church? Especially when there's conflict. Especially when there's suffering. Especially when you feel you want to avoid people rather than longing to be with them. Because look at why Paul is praying this for the church, for them to increase their love. Verse 13. So that, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. You see, there's a connection between our love for one another and the holiness we need to stand before God when Jesus comes back. In other words, Paul wants the church to be holy and be the representative of God's holiness in the world. And so he prays that they will love each other more. Because if we grow in our love for God and for each other, we will grow in our love for His truth and we will become holier people. People who have something to say about the supremacy of Jesus. But Paul must pray that we grow in love and holiness because the church community isn't a community that has got it all figured out, do we? A gospel-centered community is a community of people who recognize they are not perfect. They don't pretend they don't have any problems. We don't pretend that it's hard to relate to people who are different from us. But we do recognize that as we are all on this journey together, praying for one another, that our love for God will increase so that our love for one another will increase. Because when our love is on the increase, it causes us to want to live holy lives. Knowing that Jesus is coming back soon. Tell me, what other community out there is interested in your holiness. What other community out there is praying that you would increase in your love for other people so that you can be more holy? Paul is actually writing the rest of the letter to help the church understand the return of Christ. If you know First and Second Thessalonians, that is a big theme. The return of Christ. But a key thing we can do now as we wait for Jesus to come back is to pray for one another. And specifically pray that we would grow in our love and affection for one another. 
Because when you think community, you see Paul, that it, for Paul, this is a community that is centered on Christ, where we long to be with each other, where we sacrifice for one another, where we suffer together, and now where we pray for one another. And all of that is done in the reality of what Jesus has done for us. If we keep the grace and love of Jesus central in a community such as this, these diverse group of people that we have in this church family, then we know this is possible. And so in closing, I want to leave you with thinking about how you perceive your relationships in the church. How do you perceive community? Firstly, is it the gospel that is the foundation to your relationships in the church? Or are you happy to have relationships with people even if the gospel wasn't a part of it? Secondly, if you are someone that comes to church regularly but you still feel alone, and if you're not part of this community, why is that? Why is that? Do you think it's going to be too hard? Do you not want to be open and honest with people who are different from you? Thirdly, how will you grow in your love and concern for others if you don't make time to be with them? There's no way we can learn about each other's burdens and concerns through a few minutes when we talk and fellowship on Sundays. So are you willing to make the effort to be part of a small group a gospel community groups like we know we have here at this church that meet during the week where we do life together. Where we share our concerns with one another. Where we carry our burdens to the Lord in prayer together. Where we remind each other of truth. Of how much God has united us in Jesus Christ. Fourthly, are you suffering alone? Are you trying to carry your burdens of this world by yourself? Or do you recognize that you have brothers and sisters next to you in the church who want to help you and who can help you even if it's just listening to what you're going through? And then finally, if you know you have conflict with someone else, will you rather seek to resolve that conflict biblically and grow together and strengthen the church community, or will you continue to isolate yourself? You think of the words of First John. First John 4 verse 20, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, community is where we find belonging. Community is where we find family. Community is where we find eternal family. And a gospel-centered community is where we find love. And not just any kind of love, a supernatural love that makes it possible for us to forgive others because of how much we have been forgiven in Jesus. That is why we love the local church. Because even though it can be messy sometimes, it is what God uses to reveal the power of His gospel. Because it's where we find a gospel-centered community that together display the power of the cross. That is why one man says, and I close with this, and not only will love and harmony in our congregations help win the lost. They will help keep the found. In a day where we are increasingly marginalized and mocked, it is even more important that we find our greatest place of belonging in the church. Mere attendance and association will no longer cut it. Maybe we would get by when society was on our side and thin relationships with fellow believers. But as opposition increases, the richness of our life together in the church 
will matter more than ever. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you give us community. You give us one another. You give us brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ who link arms with us, who do life together, who suffer together, who sacrifice together, who long for your return together. Thank you that we do not have to go through this life alone. Thank you that you have designed the church in such a beautiful way that we do not have to come into the church and just relate to people who are similar to us. Or maybe in the same stage of life. Or maybe from the same country, speaking the same language. Lord, the gospel transcends all those things. You've given us a family where we can relate to each other because of the foundational truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. A gospel that says that we were so dead in our sin. A gospel that says we were alienated. We were alone, dead in our trespasses and sins. But you sent forth your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and to make us family in Christ. And so, Father, we recognize that even the unbelieving family that we have in the world is part of your plan. But you've given us something even more important. And that is family in Christ. A family that will be together forever. And so, Father, we pray, like Paul did, that you would help us to increase in our love for one another. I pray that Living Hope Church would abound in their love for one another. And Father, if there are people that, he, that are in this church who are going through this community life alone, Lord, that you would help them to connect with people quickly. That we would be the kind of community that, that looks out for one another, that's reaching out to one another, that's sharing each other's burdens, that's open and honest with the struggles we have. Recognizing we all need grace. There's no room for legalism here. There's no room for self-righteousness. We all need grace. We all need the gospel. We all need each other. Thank you for your love toward us in Christ. In His name we pray.